Got to hydrate, people. It's part of staying healthy. Keeps your, keeps your nose wet and it filters out all the corona crud. Which I was saying this morning, it might be inappropriate. Quarantine does not actually sound so bad. Like stay home, binge Netflix, read, take naps. I mean, you say quarantine, I say vacation. So, yeah. Um, Seriously, let's not get too freaked out just yet. Um, I actually made the mistake of going to Costco the other day because I heard a rumor that they were almost out of toilet paper. And it wasn't like, I'm like, I don't know why a sudden outbreak of something means we need toilet paper. Personally, the house was just almost out of toilet paper. I'm like, I need to get toilet paper before it runs out. And I went in there and it was like, The day before Thanksgiving, crazy in there. Except instead of like cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and gravy, it was like bottled water, which I'm I'm not clear why an outbreak makes water stop working, but move on. Uh, Toilet paper and rice. And I was like, people are so weird. Um, But that's not what we're here for today. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to wherever I'm going to turn as soon as my device tells me to turn there. We're going to be in the third chapter of the book of Mark, and we're going to start in verse 22. And uh, I think we got some good stuff this morning, but uh, we'll see. Uh, If we could, can I just pray first? Father, I just ask that uh, you would come now and you would dwell in this place. I pray you would help us to come and be with you, not just physically, Father, but in heart and in spirit. Uh, I pray this morning that uh, your word would be spoken, that your message would be relayed, that you would be lifted up and glorified, and that each one of us who's here this morning will encounter you with a, a specific word you want to speak to us, and that we would leave this place this morning a changed person because of that interaction with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so starting in third chapter of Mark in verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He, being Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he uh, he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven uh, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So this morning, um, some, you know, light word for you. The unforgivable sin, which... Just to show you how my brain works, say unforgivable sin, what do I think? Avada Kedavra, baby. Yeah, unforgivable. Uh, But other than that, until 
this morning in, uh, or this week rather, in 30 years of, of teaching the Bible um, in this venue and in youth groups and camps and whatever, I have never stopped and really looked at the unforgivable sin. Uh, you know, I've read it. I've read Mark. I don't know how many times. And I read right over it because I look at the unforgivable sin and I go, well, that's not me. I mean, I would never do that. And it's something most of I think most of us would agree with that. Oh, unforgivable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I would never do that. That's not meant for me. You know, it's meant for some really vile evil, evildoer out there. I would never do this. Unfortunately, when, when we look, when we dive in and we really take a look at what Jesus is saying here, really the only people truly capable of the unforgivable sin are the kind of people sitting in this room this morning. See, the unforgivable sin is the idea that you could take and you could witness and you could look at and you could view the work of God and attribute that to the devil. It's crazy. Who would do that? I mean, you can't even say an atheist would do that because if an atheist isn't buying God, atheist isn't buying the devil. In order to attribute the work of God to the devil, you need somebody who believes in God and the devil. That's us, folks. So, so how, do, how do we, we who sit here, we who come every week, we who lift up the name of Jesus in song and we listen to worship, how do we get to the place where we commit an unforgivable sin where we blaspheme the Holy Spirit? See, if you sit here this morning and you continue with this thought process that that would never be me, you set yourself up for the possibility that it could be you. Because to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I know, I just touched my face. It, we do it. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is the ultimate outcome of a hardened heart. See, the very people that Jesus is talking to, the ones he's saying, you are in danger, you have just committed the unforgivable sin, are religious leaders. They are religious people. They are God people whose hearts have become so hardened that they cannot recognize God's work as the work of God. This happens when we become so hardened, when... when in heart, that God's work does not match up with our idea of God's kingdom. And we all have an idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. Not, not heaven, not heaven, heaven out there where we go when we die, which we're coming back to that in a minute. But God's operation in the here and now, we all have a vision, an idea in our mind of what that looks like and how that works. And how does God operate in the sphere in which we live and move and breathe? And the more dedicated we become to our vision of the kingdom, the more we run the risk of rejecting anything outside of our vision. 
the ultimate outcome being because God has chosen to work in a way that doesn't fit my picture of the kingdom, I reject that as a work of God. I'm telling God, God, you cannot work in a way outside of my box that I am trying to put you in. And see, the problem is we don't go from zero to 60 like that. It's a process. It's step by step. And if we never stop and we never analyze our hearts and we never look inward and we never ask the question, do I have a hardened heart? We run the risk of proceeding down that path to the point where we risk committing the unforgivable sin. We run the risk of looking at the work God is doing in this world and saying that doesn't match up with what I think God should be doing. And so I reject that and I reject that it could come from God. So, hardness of heart, steps. First, when your heart starts to become hardened, you have a hard time understanding the work of God. I don't want to get too deep into it, but in the next few weeks, next few months, as we continue in the book of Mark, there's going to be unless, you know, we combine them or something. I don't know how far this is. But in the book of Mark, there's at least two instances where Jesus has done something. And the guys are like, huh. And they're like, I, I, Jesus, I don't, I don't get what you're doing. And Jesus says, are you really so hard of heart that you can't understand what I'm doing and what I'm telling you. See, part of having a heart for Jesus is having a heart that's teachable. Having a heart that says, you know what, God, I don't know everything about you. I don't understand everything about the kingdom. Your ways are not my ways. I don't get everything about you, but I'm willing to learn. My mind is open, my heart is open, my spirit is willing, teach me. And as long as we keep that idea, I don't know everything. There's always something more for me to learn. There's always something something more for me to see. There's always new understanding that God can deliver to me. The second we get to the, well, you know what? I know everything. I've got it all nailed down. We begin the process of the hardened heart. And there's lots of us, there's lots of us in here. You know, we may not be all the way down that path, but there's some stuff where we're like, Now, you know, I know what this means. There's times, does this need to go up or down? Because I'm popping a lot. Sure, down there. There's lots of times we come in here, and whoever's up here say, okay, uh, we're going to talk about this verse, this scripture, this story this morning, and we check out. We're like, ah, I know this one. Ain't nothing you can teach me about this because I know this one. So you're telling me you can be at a place in your life where there's nothing that the good God creator of the universe can teach you about something? And you're comfortable saying that? Anytime you get to a point where you're like, I already know this. You can't possibly be talking to me because I already know you need to check your heart. 
because you don't already know. God is a God of wonders. God is amazing. God can constantly do new and exciting things. And if you think he can't, you miss out on what he might want to do with you, in you, and through you. So a lack of understanding is a first indicator of a hardened heart. Next, hardened heart, the next step is is not acknowledging, not recognizing something as the work of God. Something that nine out of ten people look at and go, that was God right there. And you're just like, "Eh, was it? Is it? Really? Exodus chapter 7. Or 37 minutes into the Prince of Egypt, you choose. But, and this is God speaking to Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Even though I do great and mighty and wonderful things, someone can look at the work of God And because our heart is a little bit more hardened than it used to be, we look and we go, I don't know. I don't know if that's God. I don't think God works like that. I don't think God would do that sort of thing. I don't think God would use that kind of person. I don't think God would intervene in the life of that kind of person. And so because what God is doing falls outside of our realm of understanding, our picture of God's kingdom, our picture of how God does things, we reject it and we go, "Ah, I don't know that I'm going to get on board with that being God. You know, is it God or is it coincidence or is it science or is it nature or is it kismet or is it I don't know what kismet is, but I think it works anyway. And so we've gone from not understanding to not acknowledging. Dear God, you are awesome. You are great. You can do mighty things in this world. But I'm not giving you credit for that one because I'm just not willing to buy you did that. Do you, do you see the progression? And do you see where this step puts you in a place where you're like, okay, you are on the verge of rejecting the work of God. And every single one of us is only a couple steps away from that. Every single one of us, when we fall more in love with our vision of the kingdom than the reality of the kingdom, we are at risk of a hardened heart that has gone so far as to reject his work. So the heart starts to harden. We start to, start to lose understanding of God's nature, of God's work, of God's ability. The heart hardens more. We start to develop an attitude that's unwilling to recognize the work of God and the goodness of God and just how much he can do. And then we reach a point where, where we could literally be at the unforgivable sin. Not because we started out as a bad person. Not because we reject God. Not because we refuse to believe that God can do what he wants to do, but we refuse to believe that God can do something outside of our understanding, outside of our concept of the kingdom. And then that puts us back at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Which... 8, 22, no, 3, 
See, I took the bookmark out, and I didn't realize I was going to go back. But now I just want to recover. So the religious leaders come down. And remember, this, this kind of dovetails. There's a couple interactions between, but this kind of dovetails right off of last week when on the Sabbath, Jesus was doing healing. And we can look and we can say, you know, healing somebody? How is that one a miraculous healing, how is that not the work of God? And two, I don't care what day of the week, month, or year it is, how can that not be a good thing? And yet it was the religious leaders whose conception of the kingdom of God said, I don't care how miraculous it was, I don't care how good it was, it falls outside of my understanding, it falls outside of my law, therefore it's bad. And so we come right back around to, once again, the religious leaders. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed. He is possessed. He had just delivered somebody from demons. He just cleared up the exorcist, y'all. He gave the exorcist a happy ending, and the religious people went, you're the devil. And, and I think, you know, I, you constantly, we constantly have to be on guard. We have to constantly be evaluating our heart. But I think the fact that I can look at that story and go, who would look at Jesus doing something that amazing and going, that's out of line. That's good. You're clearly the devil for doing a God-given miracle that brought healing and grace and mercy into the life of a child of God. So I think the fact that I can want to viciously mock people that would do that, no offense if it's you, but that I viciously want to mock such people, I think that's a good sign for, eh, okay, 50-50, good thing, I don't know. But still, the religious leaders look at, God, at Jesus doing these amazing things in the power, with the power, through the power of God, and saying, you've got a devil. And, you know, we, we go down this path and kind of outline the steps of how you get from, from a bright, shiny new Christian who just, I don't get everything about God, but he saved me on the cross and that's awesome and it's cool. And then next thing we know, we're rejecting the work of God and we see a couple steps of how that goes. But don't take this academically. Take this personally. Ask yourself the question, am I in danger Am I on this path? Is my heart becoming hardened? Look at yourself over the course of, say, the last, I don't know, month, two months, year. Has there been an instance where somebody said or did something or there was something that somebody wanted to attribute to the work of God and you just flat out rejected it and said, "Uh uh-uh, my God doesn't work like that. Have, have, have you seen stories of God at work in the lives of people that you might personally reject and say, uh-uh, my God doesn't work with those kind of people? Have you seen stories? Have you thought of instances where God is working through somebody that you personally would reject and you say, uh-uh, my God doesn't use people like that? The second you start to put those limitations on God, 
you are in danger of committing the unforgivable sin. Because it's just a short step from there to flat out going, that's not from God, that's from the devil. And I don't know what happens to you then. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens if you reach the point where you look at something that God has done and you go, no, that's the devil. That's trickery. That's deceit. That's from the enemy. I don't know what happens to you at that point. I, I like to think that the sin is unforgivable because the heart has become so hardened that we would never think to ask or even be in need of forgiveness. You know, I have long speculated, and I'm not sure I have, you know, scriptural evidence for this sort of thing, but I've long speculated that the devil could be forgiven. But it is the devil's pride and ego and rejection of God and refusal to seek forgiveness that prevents that from ever happening. And so I have to think the thing that makes this unforgivable is because we have become so hardened of heart, we refuse to acknowledge I might need to be forgiven for this. But I don't know. And if you sit and you say, well, I do know, That's what I'm talking about. And so, no matter where you are in the process, if you look and even a little bit, your heart is becoming a little hardened. If even one of those things, even the, 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 the lack of understanding or the refusal to accept the work of God as the work of God, if in your life, if you look back at recent behaviors or thoughts or attitudes and you go, you know what? That, that could be a little bit me. Okay, downside, yikes, you're pretty far down that road. Upside, if your heart was truly hardened, hardened, like stone hardened, you wouldn't even acknowledge that you had a problem. But if you do, if you sit here this morning and you're like, you know what? My heart has become hardened. You know what? I, I might be in danger. I might be in this path. I might be in this process. And, and I, don't, I don't want that to be me. I, I want to be healed. I don't want that, that hard-heartedness anymore. Ezekiel, chapter 36, starting in verse 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Your adherence to your vision of God's kingdom, your boundaries on God's kingdom, the box you want to put God's kingdom in can be just as much an idol as anything else. Sex, money, power, a little wooden tiki statue that you pray to. You know, whatever your idol version is, your adherence to your version of the kingdom versus his can be just as much an idol. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit 
I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you look at yourself, if you analyze yourself, if you review yourself, your actions, your attitudes, your words, your behaviors, if you look at those instances where you're like, you know what, I might be in danger of having substituted my reality of the kingdom for his reality of the kingdom, you can, you can turn around. You can stop. You can repent of that. You can give your heart back over to God. You can say, God, I think my heart has become hardened, and I don't know how it happened, and I don't know why, but I don't want it, and I don't need it, and I need a new heart of flesh, and I need a new spirit within me. And God goes, I'm all over it. And just assuredly, as God can do that, and God will do that, there are people sitting in this room this morning who potentially are going, that would never be me. What you're talking about this morning, that would never be me. And the second you say, that would never, is the second you take one more step down that path. unforgivable. It's not an instance. It's not a moment. It's not something we, we set out of anger or frustration or fear. It's not something that just sort of happened. It's something we have to work up to over the course of time. And if that's you, if there's any hardening of your heart this morning, you will walk out of here this morning either having gone my heart is becoming hardened and, and I need forgiveness for that and I need a new heart. Or you will walk out of here this morning going, I don't know what he was talking about. But at least he didn't talk about it for too long. Okay. That's it. That's what I got. We're going uh, to sing one more song. I'd like to close this with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your immeasurable, bottomless forgiveness that you're willing to pour out on your children. I pray, Father, this morning that you would speak to us. You would help us to delve into the depths of our hearts. That you would help us to honestly and truthfully look at the condition of our spirits and honestly ask the question, do I have a hardened heart? And I pray, Father, you would give us the strength and the courage to honestly seek the answer. And that you would give us the strength and courage to obediently follow and to respond according to whatever it is you say. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may you go from this place in the true and certain knowledge that at any moment in time, a new heart and a new spirit are only a call away. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.